Hello and welcome back to the Generations Church Podcast. Today we're continuing in our series, Take Heart. Today's sermon is titled, Love Like Jesus. This sermon is based out of John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's Pastor Chris. How long ago last year, uh, I, I had sent out a, a Facebook post around the, the turn of the year, and Jesus had gotten a present in this Facebook post. It's a, is that a meme? When it's something like that, when they put a little post and it's got all this stuff. I'm a boomer. I think that's called a meme. But Jesus got a present for Christmas, and it was a church. And uh, Jesus was sad. And the guy said, Jesus, what's wrong? I thought you want a, a church for Christmas. He says, yeah, but I'm having a problem. It was a church building. He said, I'm having a problem getting it out of the box. And so while we're not at home, we're, while we're not in the building right now, a lot of times we look at church like this is the place where we're supposed to be. we got to be in a building physically, but we are the church individually. And so I pray that in this season, as we're in this place where we're trying to work online, that God would work in us individually. You know, you can do things with your family. You can do things with your workplace in the season that we're in right now, even though we can't gather together. Um, 2003, anybody remember that? <laughs> Some of you don't. We have a lot of young people in the room that are on our production team, and some of these guys probably don't even remember 2003. But this year we're 2021. Uh, we're in the third week. Do you believe that already? We only have 49 weeks left. Yeah. 48 weeks to Christmas. Who's counting? <laughs> but last week, the second week of, of 2021, uh, it was my mom. It would have been her... Uh, Last Saturday would have been her 64th birthday. Was she still here with us? And uh, my sister posted some things on Facebook. She posted a picture up there. Somebody had drawn of, of my mother and her. And, uh, and, and I remember the picture very well because as a family, we went and got pictures made. My, my mother had uh, stage four lung cancer. And in this season, um, we went and had some pictures made as a family. And I remember as I look at those pictures, I can see in my mom's eyes, like she was diagnosed in March. This was probably about May, and she wanted to go get these um, pictures taken. But you can see in her eyes in the pictures that she knows something, that she's about to die. You can just see it in her eyes. For me, as her son, as I look back over this day in time uh, for that year, 2003, anybody remember that? You guys don't remember that? But 2003, for me, in, in this time in my life, this was a season where I was, there, a significant season. You've been through significant seasons in your life where, where things happen and, and there's milestones or some people call these red-letter days of things that happen that you remember that change your life for the good for, forever. And during this season with my mom, she was diagnosed in, in March, and I remember hearing it that she got the news. It was, it was lung cancer and it was stage four. And, and during the season of our time together, we got three months to really come together. Like, you know, you could somebody could die suddenly and you don't have time to mend your issues or your wounds that you have. But we had three months to really get to know each other, to talk about, because you always have things that you need to, hey, I'm sorry, Mama, 
for the things I did to you or, or vice versa. But during this season, there was three things that I remember that changed the way I live today. Um, one of those things was, it was probably about three or four weeks before she passed away. We were at my grandmother's house, and there's a footprints of heaven uh, for, of Jesus on the sand. And you may have read that before or heard that where there's two footprints in the sand, but at one point there's only one footprint, and, and the person says, well, Jesus, I thought you were always with me. And he goes, yeah, well, those were the times where I was carrying you. And I remember I had gotten right to the end of that where it says that, and I heard my mom in the back of me, and she says, I love that poem. And I turned around, and, and her eyes kind of locked. And I saw in the eyes of this woman who knew that she was about to pass away, who knew her body was in so much pain, but yet when in her eyes she was in so much peace. And for me in my life, that's been a reminder of, of, of the peace that Jesus brings in, his day, in our daily lives, no matter where we are. There's another thing that happened during that. It was probably about a week later. We were at Henry General back then. It is Henry Piedmont now. But I was there with my mom in the room, and, and Pastor Bo Adams come up to see. And, and, and I had just gotten into the church at this time. I had not living for Jesus before that, but that's another whole other story for another day. But during this time, my mom was looking at Pastor Bo, and she said, Hey, make sure he stays in the church. And Bo looked at me, and our eyes met, and he said, That's up to him. And it was that moment that's, that marked me. The other moment, there was three, I said. There was the moment, the first one in, of the, the uh, footprints in the sand, the second one passed the boat, and then the third one was the day she actually passed away. I was in the room, and I don't know if you've ever been in this situation or not, but being in the room with her as she took her last breath, if there was ever anything in me that doubted <laughs> There's, a, there's something else to this life, that there's something else inside of me and you that, that lives on after we live in this life. On that day, I was totally convinced that it was true. As she took her last breath, I saw like vivid color in her body go from that to nothing in an instant. But what was even more um, meaningful or to me was I knew that something was not there. There was like something was in the body that was no longer in the body and it had gone away. For me and my mom, these last three months, this was kind of like a farewell conversation, I guess. She never really said anything intentionally, but it was the love of a mother to a son and how she said some things that changed some things in me and how I live. And so when we're in this series this month, it's uh, Take Heart comes from John 16, 33 is the key verse is where Jesus is with his disciples. It's at the end. They've been in the upper room. It's at the very end of what we know as the upper room discourse. And, and the last statement Jesus says to his disciples after he's told them all these things, he says, I've told you these things so that me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might. Or it could happen, you will have trouble. I mean, I look at where we are today. There is trouble in this world. It says, but take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Like I said, this is the last verse in what is known as the Upper Room Discourse in the book of John. The, the Upper Room Discourse is um, where Jesus, you know, the Upper Room, where they had the Last Supper, where Jesus, uh, it's the Passover feast. And Jesus tells his disciples a lot of things in this, in this 
place. But one of the things I want to back up um, from last week because I don't think I was clear on something last week when we were talking. But in the upper room, when when you're reading scripture, when you're trying to uh, determine scripture, to, uh, to exegete it, to understand scripture, there's certain things you need to know. One of the things you need to know in scripture is who is the author writing to? Who is he talking to? Now, in the book of John, primarily the book of John is written to unbelievers. It's written to persuade people to come to faith in Jesus. And we know that because he tells us that. In, in John 20, 30 and 30, 31 and 32, he says he's talking about the miracles that Jesus did. You know some of those where he turned water into wine, where he raised Lazarus from the dead, where he actually rose from the dead. But these things, John says, he has written. He said there's, Jesus did so many things I couldn't contain them in a book. But he said, but these things, there were seven, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But this one little section of the book, the book's primarily written to unbelievers, this one little section is it's Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. He's talking directly to his disciples. And so last week we talked about serving and how Jesus started this conversation off the very first thing he talked about, he got in there and he washed their feet. And we talked about how, you know, you've probably seen the foot washing in church and you get in there with your nice little clean little rag and your clean bucket of water. And those feet you might clean are some clean feet compared to the feet that Jesus would have cleaned because the disciples would have been on dusty roads full of cow feces, not cow, that would be here, but sheep feces and goats and, and all the animals that would have been existing in that day and time. Jesus got down and he washed some nasty feet. And, and, and what I wanted to make clear is this message is not a message for the people in the world. Jesus wasn't doing this to show the world. Jesus was doing this to show the people that he'd been with for three years. He was demonstrating what he was trying to teach them, that his church, his people, his followers were to serve each other and others the way that Jesus served them. And so this week we're going to move on along a little bit to uh, John 13, 31 to 35. Um, by the time we get here, Jesus washed the feet. They finished the supper. He introduced uh, communion. It's not recorded in John, but it happened during the meal. And, uh, you know, Judas went to betray Jesus. And Judas has just left the room. And says, so, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you a new commandment. Oh, we had a lot of commandments. Here's a new commandment, probably the most important commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, it's your love for each other, not your ability to correct somebody that shows that you are his disciples. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for his love in our life, his willingness to come and to serve us and to show us how to serve in this world and his 
and how he showed us what love really was, Lord Jesus. I pray in this moment, this morning, that you would help us see a little more clearer, clearer how you would have us love others in this world. I thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Falling in love. Anybody ever fell in love? Yeah. Man, I remember. Some of you guys been married so long, you don't remember falling in love. But I remember back when I fell in love with my wife. I remember those days. I was actually working for a, a company. Uh, we were I was servicing coffee and tea machines, and I might drive 300 hours in a day, or 300 hours, 300 miles in a day. I might have three, four, maybe five stops if I was busy. So, I, and I drove all over North Georgia through the mountains. I remember this clear as day. I used to ride around and just text her. Well, I didn't do that because I was driving. Never mind. Forget I said that. But call her while I was driving. And we would talk. And you know how it is when you're just falling in love, you know. You get those butterflies inside of you. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when, when you're around each other, you touch their hand or whatever, and the hair's like standing up on your arms. You get these, you married folks in the room don't know what I'm talking about. But for those of you who can still remember that day, it's like awesome isn't that what you, when you were a kid, you just, you just dreamed of this day, especially girls, maybe not guys, but these girls, you just dreamed of this day, man, you're going to meet that Prince Charming, you know, like Snow White or whatever, whatever fairy tale it is that you, that you saw as a, a kid that misinforms your mind of what love was actually like in the relationship. See, there's two kingdoms in this world. There's this, this, this kingdom that we think is like that. We move into God's kingdom just like that kingdom of love. We think we're going to get into God's kingdom and love's going to be all the huggy-feely. We're going to be around people all the time. But Jesus is calling us to get into the mess with others that rub us the wrong way. I mean, for those of you who have been married, you know, you know to keep this marriage thing going, love isn't always easy. Sometimes you've got to be out there and you've got to forgive one another. Sometimes you've got to get out there and you've got to say, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's hard, especially for... Me, maybe not you, but it's hard. Relationships are hard. Loving just your own family, your members, is hard. Maybe the hardest of all. I feel sorry for my wife. She has to put up with me, the hardest-headed person in the world probably, but she does it. But it's work. It's not easy. It takes a whole lot of work. We've bought into a lie, I think, when it comes to the kingdom of God and what God has called us to do. He hasn't called us to an easy life where, every, where we come in, everything's sunshine and roses and easy. And a nice little feeling where we get the little tingles or whatever. Jesus defined love different. He demonstrated it different. Love is not something that you feel. It is something that you do. That's what he was calling them to. Not a passive feeling, but an action. To others in the church and the world around them. Throughout his ministry with the disciples, he taught them a lot of things. Last week we talked about how he kept talking to them about serving. But throughout his ministry with them as he was training them to, to leave them in charge of this thing, the church that was going to go from one, in one generation from Jerusalem to the end of the earth, he demonstrated this over and over and over again in this time. You may remember a story. He's there with a guy, and, and he's like, what do I need to do to get to heaven? He's like, well, love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus raised the bar. Remember the Pharisees? They loved themselves, but they condemned everybody around them. There's a lot of things in church history that the world looks at and it really turns them off and people did a lot of things in Jesus' name. But they didn't show any love. They missed it. Because he said, all the other laws are wrapped up in these two, loving God and loving people. You want to bring glory to God right now in this day and time? Love your neighbor. The guy asked him, because you know how we are. We want to do the least, the, the least we can. We want to get as close to the line as we can. The guy said, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story about a guy who's walking down, and he, and he ends up in the ditch, and the Jews walk by. And then the one guy who comes over is a Samaritan, someone who's different. Church, I think we need to rethink what love's all about. Love's not a simple thing. Love is hard. Love is tough. And you and I, we, you know, Jesus, he created a new standard. He set the example, and he said to them, a new commandment I give to you to love one another as I love you. You and I, when we hear that statement, and we're thinking of the disciples or whatever we think of, we're thinking of what Jesus did for us on the cross, right? That's what we're thinking about. These guys wouldn't have been thinking about that. The cross hadn't happened yet. Within 24 hours, they would know what Jesus was going to do for them. But in that day of time, they would have been like, Jesus would have been like, remember when, Matthew, you were disowned by your own family, you were despised by your community. But I took you and I brought you in anyway. Or Nathaniel, you remember when, when I met up with you and you said, what good thing can, can, come, can come from uh, Nazareth? And you dissed me, and I reached down, and, and I pulled you in anyway, and I called you anyway. I don't know about you, but I look around, and I, I'm grateful that Jesus looked at me, and he overlooked all the mess in my life, and he reached down when I wasn't worth anything and hadn't done anything, and he, and he pulled me in. He called me close. He drew near. Jesus was teaching this over and over to his disciples in Matthew 5 and, and what we know as the Beatitudes, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is it if it loses its season or its flavor? Have you ever taken a bite of something and it wasn't what you expected? Like you were expecting one thing and you got something else and it wasn't good? Like I remember, I was trying to think of something nasty, but I couldn't. This is the only thing I come up with. I was first time I ever drank a LaCroix. You know, LaCroix is a soda water. It's a it's a acquired taste. Is that the right word? Yeah, it's an acquired taste. And the first time I saw one, it was in the uh, refrigerators at my sister in law's house. And uh, I reached in there and grabbed it. I'm expecting a Sprite. I popped the lid. And I like LaCroix now, but I popped the lid and I threw that thing back. And oh my God. It was nasty. Because I was expecting something else. You see, a lot of people look at the church and they come in, and, and you don't have to look far. They get in the middle of the church, and ooh, it wasn't quite 
what they were expecting. There's a lot of legalistic people. I don't know where we get off trying to get people who don't know Jesus to act like Jesus before they don't know Jesus. I mean, think of yourself. You still ain't like Jesus. Jesus is working on you every day. You still got a long way to go. You're not where you used to be. You're not where you need to be. But sometimes people come in and they look at the church and, and, and they think it's going to be all good, but we give them a different taste in their mouth and it's nasty. And there's a lot of young people who've turned their backs because there's a lot of us seasoned people who've looked down our noses at them. Jesus never looked down his nose at anybody. Except Pharisee. God's calling us to love people the way he loved people. The way we see Jesus loving his disciples throughout Scripture. Very next verse in, in Matthew 14, it says, You are the light of the world. Remember, I thought Jesus was the light. Jesus is the light, but Jesus is gone. His spirit lives in all each one of us. We are the light of the world. We should be a city on a hill. We shouldn't be that church in the box that won't come out. We need to get out of the box and into our workplaces and into our city and our communities and make a difference by just loving people. I mean, you know how good it feels? I mean, you probably know when somebody looks at you and says, man, I need to work on this, by the way. Man, Mario, man, you're just killing it. You're doing a good job. Justin. Man, you've grown so much since I used to watch you sitting next to that stroller, Community Bible Church, when Jeremy was a baby in it. You've come a long way. You too, man. All you guys. Doesn't that make you feel good? I remember my ninth grade year in, in high school. When I was in ninth grade in high school, I probably shouldn't say this out loud as maybe. Jesus, I'm, Jesus, Jesus covered it all anyway. But I failed my ninth grade year. Not because I was dumb or stupid, because I didn't do anything. I graduated with my class. I had to make it up. But I remember even in that year, my, my, my English teacher, I don't even remember her name. She saw something in me, and she would encourage me that I could write, and I was creative. In Thanksgiving, I wrote a poem. It was, the, it was a, a spinoff of the night before Christmas. It was the night before Thanksgiving, all through the coop. Now the turkey was happy. He was soon to be soup. But she took it and she sent it off to a writing class to have a chance to get published. Nobody picked it up, but she spoke into me. Also, around Christmas, I wrote a play. And if you know where First Baptist of Stockbridge is, Stockbridge High School was across the street. What is Patrick Henry now back then? It's where they filmed Stranger Things at. All the school scenes are in that building. But I wrote a play, and we went and performed it for the, for the elementary school at the church. And I was the director and the writer. This kid, he was... Screwing up as a ninth grade kid. I don't even remember her name. But I remember how she made me feel inside because she took a moment to speak life into somebody who was just wasting life, I guess is the best way to speak it. It's hard, guys. Living like this, loving like this, it's not easy. Spirit of, feel the spirit of Big Daddy Kane. Loving ain't easy. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but anyway. It takes courage. 
to do that. I mean, you live long enough, you'll have people burn you. You'll, you'll, you'll take risks and you'll get burned. And if you're not careful, you'll turn around, you'll be 55, 60 years old, and you'll be a cynical old person who looks at the world with a frown on your face. Angry at everybody. It's risky. It's hard. It takes courage to take risk, to be vulnerable. Maybe you've been in a relationship and, and you got burned in that relationship. I know it's easy the older you get, the more times that happens to you, to just have a scarred heart and to guard yourself from other people. See, but in Israel, one of the things they were required to do was to be circumcised on the eighth grade. On the eighth grade. <laughs> that would <make> me bad. <laughs> on the eighth day. <laughs> things that come out of my mouth up here. And the Holy Spirit just gave me this as I was standing here. But you and I, he's called us to have circumcision of the heart. All that roughness, all those things when we come to know him, it's got to get cut away. It's got to get cut off. We've got to live vulnerable lives where we take courage, we take risk. Not for us, but for others. You guys can come back up. I used to uh, coach soccer. Some of you may have heard this story before, but I had this little girl on my soccer team one time and the very first day she showed up to practice I had a, a U8 team no I had a U10 they were 10 years old by this time and U10 and uh, the very first practice I remember about halfway through practice I looked up and if you know the, the layout of CBC we were on the soccer field and she was all the way on the playground by the old playground not the one that's there now but the old one, and I was like, oh, my God. And I ran out after her, got her. Well, I didn't go get her. I sent somebody after her. We got her back. And I remember at the end of that practice, I was like, dang, that's terrible. And so I went to her mom, and I was like, hey, because her mom had left. I was like, hey, I might need somebody to stay here to help keep an eye on her, make sure she doesn't run off. And I remember what her mom said. She said, Oh, she just needs some discipline. Just, she just needs some discipline. So I was like, okay, 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 she just needs some discipline. So the next practice shows up, and she's doing the same thing. She's just being a distraction. I was like, all right, time out. Get over there on the sideline. I want you to sit right there until I tell you to come back. And I remember she was just a bigger distraction over there than she was on the field. And by the end of my that practice I was so frustrated you ever been frustrated I was so frustrated with what was going on and I remember pausing for a moment I just felt like God told me to look around and I started looking around and I started looking at how everybody in her life just talked down to her her mother talked down to her her stepfather talked down to her they were always just owner 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 and I was beginning to think maybe I'm the only person in her life who can be an encouraging person and so I began to talk different to her I stopped criticizing she was a little bitty old thing we were in U10 I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say this she might have come to right there 
She was a little bitty thing. And so we would get out and practice, and everything she did, she could mess it up. And I was like, all right, good job, good job, great job, great job. All the other kids, I'm like, run a lap. But I'm telling her, good job. And she always wanted to play goalie. And so one year, one game, it was the last game of the season, you know. I'm very competitive, so you know how that goes sometimes. I put her in a goalie jersey. I mean, it was so big, I had to roll the sleeves up just so she had hands to catch a ball with. And the goal. And I put her out there, and it wasn't long. Bam! Ball went in the net. And I was like, good job. Way to go. Way to try. Boom, another one. I think six balls went in the goal while she was out there. But every time I would go, good try, way to go, good try, way to go. At the end of the game, I ran from the sideline over to the goalie box. I picked her up, I put her on her shoulders, and I did a victory lap around the field, all the way around the soccer field. That was the last game. I remember we would always have like a, we gave out trophies and things like that at the end of the season. I remember her mother come up to me and she said, man, she loves her soccer coach. All she does is talk about her soccer coach. And I had done nothing but change the way I talked to her. This is an old story. I like to say this happens all the time. I'm a work in progress. I wish I had more stories like this. Maybe I don't remember some. I pray I don't. But I remember this one. See, it's love, not guilt and shame that has the, the power to change someone. Jesus didn't come down here and beat you over the head to get you to come to him. Jesus came down. Andy Stanley says this. He said, at the cross, Jesus demonstrated his love in such a way that it took everyone's breath away, including his own. Church, It's time. I said that last week. The hour has come. It's time. We've got to be different. We've got to love people. Right where we are. We've got to love people right where they are. One of the things we wrote down when we began this church, there's a list of sayings we've got. If you've got one of our cards out there, it says, one of the things we say is, we meet people at their point of need in order to point them to their greatest need. We're not going to condemn somebody to Jesus. We need to love people to Jesus by loving them, showing them the grace, the kindness, and the love that Jesus has already shown to us. John, in, in John 1, 13, 16, he says this, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Jesus would often say to his disciples, he said, if anyone wants to come after me, you need to lay down your cross and, or pick up your cross and follow me. I want to make a distinction right here. Salvation is, is faith and trust in Jesus. But if you want to live out God's purpose in your life, if you, want to, if you want to make a difference for Jesus in this world, there's a cross that has to be picked up, that has to be carried by each and every one of us. Paul wrote later in Romans, he says, Romans 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The sacrifices get on an altar. 
You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? It's alive. See, the, it might get up there one day, but it wakes up in the morning and it wants to crawl right back home. No, you got to get up every morning and you got to convince yourself to stay on the altar. You've got to convince yourself to stay placed where God has put you. It might not be easy. Trials are going to come. Tribulations are going to come. But Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Come on, pray with me. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, Chris, I want to love like that. Let me tell you something. It is impossible without knowing the love of Jesus. See, Jesus came from heaven to earth. Jesus came from heaven to earth to redeem you. He got on the cross. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Would you trust Him today if you never have? It's real simple. It's real easy. You just say, Lord Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. Right now in this moment, I'm asking you to come into my life. Save me. Help me from this day forward to walk with you, to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a great reminder to love like Jesus does. If you would like to stay connected throughout the week, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Generations Church. If you would like to give to Generations Church, you can text the word Generations with a Z to 77977, or you can visit us online at generations.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time on the Generations Church Podcast.